And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. And happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP. Flying the plane. Sort of solo, but not completely alone, because I do have... The dependable Brent Clanton. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Who always sounds like the velvety fog in the morning. (laughs) Do you ever wake up and have like a, Hi, I'm Brent Clanton voice, or is it always (laughs) robust? Hi. (laughs) Good morning. Now we know how how you got Darlene. (laughs) Would you like to go out on a date? (laughs) You look beautiful this evening. It worked. It worked. Yeah. It absolutely did work. Um, boy, financial fitness and inflation at 8% sort of doesn't work. It's like going to the gym for a couple of hours and on the way home, picking up about 10 cheeseburgers from Whataburger. And that does sound very attractive this morning. I will admit that. Um, so it's a challenge. And we've seen how... Uh, In the GDP report, Michael uh, talked about this on uh, Thursday based on the Atlanta Fed and extrapolating out. Not sure why so many economists were taken by surprise by a negative GDP print, but it is what it is. So it feels very stagflation-y. Too early to say. I I did post something on Thursday. Facebook on Monday that I believe, one, that we are entering a period of stagflation. And I do believe um, that inflation, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, yeah, it's not as transitory as everybody was thinking. And we all know that now. What I'm worried about is how structural it is now. Because, yes, as spending... um, pulls back and we did see in the GDP report how real personal uh, a real disposable income is faltering here and that makes sense in the face of zero stimulus payments and the savings rate down to below 7% that hey um we don't have much to spare look at credit card spending and credit card balances as well So there's definitely quite a bit of financial distress. Now, I have no clue what's going on with China and COVID. Brent, did you see that video of all those poor people in those apartment buildings in Shanghai just screaming? Oh, yeah. You know, that that, that was the most horrific thing, one of the most horrific things I have ever heard. It's terrifying. It was a scream from somewhere in your body that you don't know you have at a complete agony and distress, right? Terrible. So obviously China's slowing down and they're not, uh, you know, as far as um, getting goods here, that's an issue. And this seems to be a much more serious uh, structural issue than we've anticipated in the face of um, demand. Now, um, when it comes to demand, one of the best companies I think you can look at is Amazon. And Amazon, if it opens 
in the pre-market right now is down roughly 9%. That will be one of the worst days it's had in about eight, nine years. Um, and obviously, revenue's down. Yeah, there's been some change from pre-pandemic levels, but I think they're a good indicator of how people are spending and what they're probably spending money on, which is the stuff we need to survive. And those prices are going up. So even though the president blames this negative GDP print on whatever he calls technical factors, there is a lot more to it. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I have a feeling you'll get a slight rebound for second quarter GDP. So I don't know if we're going to have these uh, two consecutive quarters of negative growth to call it recession. But this low growth, high inflation environment is going to feel, for those of you who remember, I slightly remember, I was a bit young at that point, but I slightly remember the distress my grandparents would talk about with prices, uh, especially being depression babies, um, that this was, you know, this is an issue. Um, so the point is, I'm trying to make is Amazon will be a good indicator. It's, it's, it's looks like it's going to open down. Exxon reported they're going to be down a bit, not too bad. So um, you're definitely going to feel this today. Intel had a report that was sort of disappointing. So it's really going to be oil and gas, I think, are earnings today uh, coming out. Um, but Amazon is a great barometer for the overall spending climate. Um, I know I have cut back some of my spending on Amazon. And, and I think part of what they were saying is, hey, well, you know, post-pandemic, people are going out and buying. Yeah, okay, maybe that's part of it. I think the most serious part of it is the economic distress going on in every household, and they just can't. Uh, and again, this is going to be an issue that lasts for a continued period of time. So we do have, uh, so it looks like um, Amazon down close to 10, Robinhood down close to 11%, which was the... Uh, Reddit board's cool trading platform is in serious trouble. As we have said before, it looks fryer tucked. Um, take it out any way you want, all right? Uh, we can't use certain words here, all right? We're not allowed to use them. It's well. a noun and an adjective. <laughs> Brent, if there's ever a no new version of Sesame Street, I'm hiring you, man. <laughs> Friar tucked. Friar tucked. Noun and adjective. Let's explore. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, the funniest part is I do troll the Reddit boards. Yes. And I'm just an observer. I don't want to get into the mire of the financial Reddit boards. But I will tell you, around the... I can't remember when Robin Hood did this, but they stopped the trading in the mean stocks. I remember, yeah. This group is like a dog with a bone. Since that time, they consider Robin Hood the traitor. Oh. Do not open an account with Robin Hood. So this, mm. this, this group that they were looking to attract, and again, not that the Reddit boards are everything, but it seems like the Gen Zs have not, do not have a good feeling about Robin Hood, and they felt betrayed that they couldn't trade the meme stocks for a period. I think that decision was retracted quickly, but the damage 
to the brand when you go through the Reddit boards was absolutely done. So we're actually seeing that um, today. So we'll have to wait and see. Lance has been expecting an oversold bounce. This is not surprising, but I will tell you, and he, he mentions this all the time, if you own the broad index, you're sort of surprised that you're only in correction territory. But if you look underneath the surface, man, there is lots of carnage. It's like Friday the 13th when the boyfriend goes to the bed and his girlfriend's under the covers and she looks like she's sleeping and he pulls it back and she's a bloody mess. Underneath the covers, there's a bloody mess in stocks. There is. We get back. We're going to talk about, man, millennial, millennial home ownership report from apartmentlists.com. A lot of you are going to know this information, but to see the numbers of how many people cannot afford homes or don't even save for a down payment is amazing. We'll be right back. Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show It's Friday so the mantra for today is I'm not feeling very worky today why isn't Friday a holiday? Why? You know, there are a lot of companies going to four-day work weeks. Well, I heard a story this week they wanted to do a two-day work week. Can really? you imagine that? A five-day weekend. <laughs> that ain't happening here. <laughs> right, Connie? Um, work day. We're working nine days a week. <laughs> Even beat the Beatles out. It's not eight <laughs> days a week around here. It's nine Going to 10. <clears throat> um, you know, so if you feel like taking a drive to Austin tomorrow, <laughs> or you have some uh, stress test dummies or whatever to fill seats, <laughs> we'd like to see you at Combating Inflation and Retirement. So this is a real popular um, workshop that Danny and I complete that really goes through the dangers of inflation. And I'll tell you, obviously, retirees are going to feel the pain on a fixed income more than anything else. So how to make the most out of Social Security and Medicare, how to plan to lower your taxes. And, you know, we try to debunk many times mainstream financial advice, and then eventually mainstream comes around um, overall. But then we're going to do our lunch and learns, which are virtual, Thursday, May 12th, from 12 to 1 o'clock while you're eating your lunch. Spend some time with us. We're going to go through some of what life insurance, um, you know, some of the important things about life insurance, but some of the things you may not know 
and how it's utilized in addition to a death benefit. Lots of life insurance, they, it does have a living benefit. Not the primary reason, reason why you purchase life insurance, but we want to help you understand looking at term, looking at permanent life insurance, making sure you understand what you're buying. So it's a very important part of your financial plan and risk mitigation. You know, insurance is a great way to mitigate risk, whether it's long-term care, disability income. We want to make sure you understand um, the ins and outs of life insurance. So hope you can uh, stay tuned for that. So I always figured um, it was I, my demographic wave for buying homes, the way I looked at it was around 2023, 2024 is when millennials, because they just really didn't have the money to do it, that they would be looking around that time. But obviously I was wrong um, because millennials today are in the market and they are in their prime home buying years, ages 25 to 40 in 2021. Um, and this is from apartmentlist.com. So their home ownership rate has increased faster than any other generation, as other generations have yet to, to catch up. So in 2021, the millennial home, home ownership rate stood at roughly 48.6%, uh, up from 30% in 2011. So listen, they're, they're out there. But here's the shocker of this survey by apartmentlist.com. Obviously, affordability uh, is increasingly important. So as a millennial, and you look at housing affordability, and you look at the housing affordability index, which is at the worst level I've ever seen, seen it since the index was created. Do I rent? Do I buy? I got a re really cool report from apartmentlist.com on Houston rents. How much do you think they're up year over year, Brent? 10%? Close to 12. Okay. So if you're renting, you're also in financial mm -hmm. distress. Yes. Right? So there's like nowhere to hide from this. Right? So the thing is, here's the shocker for me. You know, we have certain financial guardrails at um, RIA about how much home to buy. How much of a down payment do you need to, to make? Uh, and these are challenging metrics, how much of your total monthly income should your mortgage payment, total mortgage payment with insurance, right? Taxes, what should it be? Um, and we deviate from the mainstream that tells you, well, you can have your payment be anywhere from 28 to 30% of your take-home pay. Well, I consider you house poor in that case. So it's really tough. And I'm trying to prepare some of the Gen Z people I counsel on what to look for when it comes to housing. But here's the thing. Down payment savings rates are shockingly low for millennials who want to buy homes. So based on this survey, this has really surprised me. Nearly two thirds say they have no savings whatsoever. And only 16% have saved more than $10,000. The average savings of, a just, of about around $12,000, right, is just like a 4% down payment on a medium-priced condo today. Right? So you would think, well, okay, so I'm going to put down a lower down payment because mortgage rates are so low. 
no longer is that the case. If you are putting down, say, $10,000 on a home, I don't have to be a rocket scientist unless I'm buying a shack. Although I did see a shack like on sale in Tomball, Brentford, you know how much? I mean, the place had no roof. Really? 80 grand. That's for the land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? But the guy's trying to promote the mm. shack. Yeah. Like, forget the shack. Talk about the property, all right? It's a stargazer's opportunity. <laughs> you should be writing those things. <laughs> For stargazers at night, you, you can see the cloud. You can see the beauty of the skies by, how would you call that roof? What would you call it? It's not retracted. Um, panoramic. <laughs> panoramic roof. If you have 3% down for home, 5%, 10%, you can't afford a house. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Oh, but I'm going to buy, and that's, you know, it's going to be better than renting. Well, you're sort of renting your house for the first 10 years anyway, based on how much of your payment's going to principal versus interest. And the average stay in a home is roughly seven years. So for the first seven years, you are renting. You don't think you're renting. But you're right. Except you don't have a landlord to go to when the water heater craps out. No, you got to pay for that, too, right? So if I only can put, say, 10% down or less, 6%, whatever it is, and I have to do some repairs, not even major ones. I mean, where's that coming from? I'm going to put that on my credit card because I don't have any savings whatsoever. This is a recipe for long-term wealth-building disaster which would be the next Irwin Allen movie next to the Poseidon adventure. This is a problem. So I understand homeownership is represented as called the American dream. The dream is having enough money to have the home, having your total payment, monthly payment, maybe being around 15 to 20% of your take home. Mine is around eight because I'm cheap. Um, so I have lots of financial stability, security. And if there's a, an issue that comes up and, uh, or a financial vulnerability, say we do go into recession. Listen, here's what's happening. A lot of companies right now spending a lot of money on tech because they can't find the workers they'd like to have. Not only that, they are looking to replace workers. What's that robot, Brent, in DoorDash? They have a robot. It goes around. It's like a red cart. Yeah. And it just, it, it travels the streets. It's freaky to see. <laughs> it's like R2T2 escaped, right? They painted him red and he yeah. escaped. So this robot allegedly gets to your home, you order your food, and then you type in your code. And you take the food and the robot goes off on its merry way. So I heard the, the robot was in Houston for one day before <laughs> it got stolen. <laughs> Someone took the robot. It's probably somebody's pet right now. <clears throat> so Nobody saw that happening. No, no. I mean, a robot just roaming the streets. Mm-hmm. And what happens when it hits a pothole? <laughs> and, and, and I'm even on the sidewalk, right? Because you know how oh, our yeah, sidewalks yeah. are not... Mm. 
you know. Congruent. Like they can film the next version of Cliffhanger <laughs> on our sidewalks, right? Because they're not even. So how does this thing not get stuck? Yeah. It's like our, what's that thing for the, your house, the robot, the one that vacuums? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, is it like that? It gets stuck, and then what happens? So, what I'm saying is, they're using these robots to take care of bringing in your order. Not only that, we were at a restaurant not too long ago, and I talked to one of the uh, owners, and he says, yeah, we just bought, we just got some, we have some robots that are going to replace waitstaff. Um. Didn't you have a situation like this? I thought you did. But he said that they're going to have actual robots that are going to come to your table. You speak your order that you want, right? And they load the robot up with the order, bring it to your table. No, happily, I've not had that experience yet. <laughs> but you will in the future. It's hard enough to get a human being to get the order right. You might want to trust the robot. Yeah. Um, so we are seeing companies say, listen, there are people that have disappeared off the rolls, uh, and now we're going to go to tech, and we're going to get greater productivity that way. Now, we'll tell you, when you look at um, – <clears throat> that goes back to wage growth, right? Because if you look at um, productivity, it's increasing per worker. So I have a feeling – these attractive wage growth numbers we've seen, even though they do not beat inflation, are going to start to come down, which is going to be even more pressure on most households to make it in the face of stubborn inflation. Hey, we get back. We had a lot of other stuff to talk about. Um, how to increase your spending in retirement and a lot of other good stuff here on Financial Fitness Friday. We'll be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance. We'll show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the Truth About Life Insurance Lunch and Learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Truth About Life Insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back. So the robot is called Coco. Coco the robot. Coco the, um, yeah, the red wagon, the little red wagon. You had one of those red wagons, yeah, didn't I, you, Brad? I, I had several, yeah. I was tough on them. Yeah. Um, we had red wagons as kids in Brooklyn. There were about 50,000 of them. <laughs> they were all stolen. Every one of them. 
Tough, <laughs> tough market. Yeah, or they would take the wheels. Yeah. And just leave the wagon. <laughs> They're sort of doing that with cars they now. They still do that, yeah. <laughs> good thing those things good thing uh those things didn't have catalytic converters. We'd really be in trouble. You'd come out with your wagon up on blocks. <laughs> Well, Coco sort of looks like the little red wagon. Um, so it's a remotely piloted uh, delivery service. This is from my friend Steven's site, Culture Map. Um, launches in Austin, uh, in Austin, Dallas, Miami market soon. So the, this delivery includes Brook Street Barbecue, Rustica Cafe, Ruggles Black, and Trendy Dumpling, which would be my new CB handle if CB comes back. And it is coming back. I am telling you, I... Within five years, CB radio is coming back. We'll be doing this show over CB radio. My, again, my handle will be Trendy Dumpling. I like that. <laughs> trendy Dumpling. But the funniest part was the robot getting stolen <laughs> on the way to somebody's house. 10-4. Yeah. <laughs> Why not have robot police that tries to retrieve the, do- the, uh, the little red wagon robot? So, Didn't they have a couple of robots at the airport yes. doing mask monitoring. Yes, they did. And it would walk up to you and say, you're not wearing a mask. We're going to have one here in this office soon. <laughs> it's coming. Um, so it's a trained pilot. It's, I mean, this thing is fascinating. So, And no one can tamper with it, right, because it has a specific code. Um, so it's shorter dist- distances, mostly ped- pedestrian paths, pedestrian paths in Houston like that all goes together like a little bit of oil and water don't you think Brent pedestrian path what's the pedestrian path in, in Houston it's more like the trail of tears <laughs> it's I'm just telling you well speaking of tears you're a retiree and you decide that obviously you're going to be in distribution mode right we talk about this all the time, and I always use the example that everybody's going to get tired of, of Tim Allen and Wilson in the show Tool Time, right, where Tim Allen is the young father with the three boys, and Wilson's the retiree, and he's always looking over the other side of the fence. Part of that rationale is to help people understand in the show that Wilson's life is different than Tim's, Right? He's looking over at what he had maybe at one time, a growing family. His needs for financial security are going to be different than Tim and his family. Tim is also accumulating money in retirement plans, most likely, saving for college. Now, when there's sequence of return risk, which means lower returns over an extended period of time, that's a very frustrating road for an accumulator, right? Because you're putting money in and it's sitting there, right? It's like a pair of cement shoes for your money. You're going, what the heck is this? I keep putting money in and it's just growing by my contributions. Well, eventually what you hope for is a better market cycle, returns get better, and you get a tailwind. So headwinds and tailwinds to market cycles are frustrating for those accumulating dollars. It could be downright dangerous for Wilson, who is taking money from 
his account. Volatility and sequence of return risk is not his friend. So this old 4% rule, which says, and it was a, you know, it was seminal study in the, uh, in the 90s. Bill Bengen said, hey, you can withdraw roughly 4% out of your allocation portfolio over a period of time. So I'm, I am able to take a fixed percentage from variable assets. And that works great in bull markets. My money continues to grow. I could take 4%. Now, when I first started in this business in the late, uh, late 80s, I was telling clients the, the withdrawal rate, I'll never forget this, was around, you tell people, 10 to 11%. <clears throat> and I was telling people, we're going to do 6 to 8%. Because bull market cycles don't last forever. And I want to make sure you're living at a certain level for when a bear cycle or a cycle of lower returns happen to occur. We took out, we looked at these variable portfolios every year and we had to use spreadsheets to match them up with spending and say, okay, well, this year you can give yourself a raise. This year you could do this. And everybody around me laughed, like, why are you putting so much work into this? Just tell them 10%. The market always comes back, blah, blah, blah. So all this accumulation data was being used for distribution people. And I'm like, it doesn't work this way. If I'm taking money in my account, it's not the same as adding money into it. So in this market, when you have sequence of return risk, now Bill Bengen comes out and he says, you know, I'm going to change this optimum withdrawal rate. He's an older dude now. Um, he's updating it to 4.7%. So he's doubling down. Much like <clears throat> people blaming Putin for everything that's going on. He's doubling down on this. 4.7% because he's looking at past returns. But if we look at future returns, people go, gosh, the market's not doing very well. You know, valuations must be better. Uh, well, I think we hit a peak of 44 times on the case Schiller. I mean, the Schiller PE. We're now at 33 times. Would you consider that a bargain? No. Now I have a Fed that is no longer on my side because I agree with Mike when he writes about they're going to have to fight the inflation, right? They're going to have to fall on that sword and let the market do what the market is going to do. I think they finally have to let that go with driving markets. So I have a Fed that's no longer on my side. I've got valuations that are still heady. So... I feel, and we started to do this in around middle to late 2019, we lowered our average return estimates for blended portfolios by asset class. We went in, just math people, created forward-looking returns that would state, hey, if I'm a retiree retiring in 2020, and for probably for the next 10 years, I am going to face a headwind in returns. I am going to face 
a much tougher time than people who retired in 2010 when I had the Fed at my back. And valuations, I think, at the time were close to 13, 14 times earnings. That's going to require a change of thinking for people who are taking a distribution portfolio going forward. It's the normal stuff. Looking at expenses, sure. But even if I cut back on Netflix or whatever heck I'm doing, maybe I'm taking less trips. The day-to-day items that I'm purchasing now are costing much more. So, yes, I do need to be diligent with my budget. I need to maybe micro-budget the first five years in retirement so I get a really good feel where every dollar is going. But what about your financial partner? Can your financial partner just say, no, don't worry about it, 4.7%. You just take that every year. I am sorry, it does not work this way. Your distribution percentage has to be analyzed every year. You may not have to change it every year, but you absolutely have to examine it. You are going to be, now I don't think anybody listening to this show on YouTube probably have to worry, but most of the less financially savvy are going to depend more on Social Security than they think. They are going to depend more on how to create a personal pension. They're going to have to create a guaranteed income stream and take less out of their variable asset portfolio. So think about this. I've got a check coming in every month. And studies show retirees who get guaranteed income spend more in retirement. It makes sense. If I've got $3,000 a month coming in and I spend it all, I know the next month I have another check. I have no idea what the stock market's going to do next month. And I'm uncertain and scared about it. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull in my reins. So we're going to talk about this nuance of distribution strategies in an expensive market uh, when we get back here on Financial Fitness Friday. Last segment coming up. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and learn at realinvestmentadvice.com the truth about life insurance with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show
I just ordered one of those Coco robots. Yeah. And it's going to have a, a hand. <laughs> and it's going to ride back to Lance's desk and throw a pie in his face. <laughs> it's called Pico. Bacani says that the robot needs to wear a mask down the hall. So, your job is to find a mask big enough for Pie Coco. <laughs> I have one question about Coco the robot. <laughs> what? Is she going to deliver herself? <clears throat> I don't know how just, to answer just that. Just think about it. Okay. You know. okay. Oh. oh. Mm. Yeah. I was just thinking about the kind of pie because I'm thinking of pie <laughs> this morning. Your asset allocation is a pie. It's so easy. Just mix and match and watch your principal go to heck. It's the Ross I have road. to own a little bit. The asset allocation pie yeah. is like that everything pie in a Brooklyn pizzeria. Like yeah. you can't even see the crust because mm-hmm. we're going to throw everything on there and something's going to work. Something's gonna, leftovers. Something's yeah. going to catch your taste bud. Yes. It's like my grandma, like Nana Rosso sauce. You have no idea. What's this meat, Nana? Uh, you don't need to know. <laughs> Is it okay? I think so. You don't need to know. I think it could have been like one of the neighbors. I mean, I don't know what was in there, but all the leftovers went into that sauce. And that's what a lot of advisors do. I'm going to sprinkle a little emerging markets, and I'm going to put in a little bit of international growth, and I'm going to do in some domestic value, and poof, something's going to work. Yeah, that works. That's called modern portfolio sauce theory. It absolutely does not work. That's why here at RIA, if we don't want to own an asset class, we don't own it. Simple. It's not going to affect all your fancy ratios. It's not, well, it might affect your Sortino ratio where you're taking less risk and you're doing better than the market, but it means a hill of beans nothing. It's just to make your advisor look smarter than you. Because in your head you're going, do I really need to own 2,000 investments? Yes, because you need to be diversified. Ah, okay. Sounds good, Grandma. Let me have that... Chewy meat from that sauce. So, I'm withdrawing money in a sequence of return risk market. There are a lot of things I can do. I can look at fixed income. Not going to keep up with inflation, everybody. I know it. But if Lance is correct, and I do believe he is, that 10-year rates are going to be much lower than people think in the next couple of years because of where the economy is going to go, and rates can only go so far. You're able to find some individual bonds today that you haven't been able to find for the rates you can right now. So, yes, they don't overcome inflation, but you certainly can shore up your dollars, right? You can have a cash reserve bucket. We did this last year. Right. Well, last year, what we did was we said, listen, you're doing so well this year. We're going to fund some of your goals up front. You know the car that you want to buy in 2026? Okay, we got the money now. We're going we're gonna to cash bucket that, right, because we had such a great year. A lot of wealthier clients, re, um, savvy clients with real estate will have rental properties. I think they're a pain in the butt. But... They work for many people to provide some passive income. The annuities, which is, you know, obviously annuity is a four-letter word, but 
a lot of people are, like I mentioned earlier, are going to need some form of guaranteed income to supplement their lifestyle. Tactical portfolio strategies, that could work. This is from an article from ThinkAdvisor. Um, tactical portfolio strategies. Uh, yeah, if, if you can maybe perform a little bit better than the market, especially on the downside, right? You're protecting principle, sort of what we do here, right? Listen, you're, if you're invested in the market, you're going to take losses. That's inevitable. But I, what I tell clients and I tell people we talk to is, do you, you want to bleed a little or do you want to hemorrhage to death? If you're investing, I don't care what you're investing in, you're going to bleed a little. It's what that, that wound turns into that's important. During the financial crisis, we had people tap a few things before their portfolio. Home equity lines of credit when they were still there because some banks were pulling them. The cash value of permanent life insurance. We borrowed against those policies. We told people, listen, leave the portfolio alone. Use this cash. We will pay it back. Right? So you got to get real creative when you're dealing with lower returns in a distribution portfolio. Um, you may not have to adjust your portfolio every year. Now, <clears throat> one of the things I used to write often about, and I have clients that have been in portfolio strategies, distribution strategies for over 20 years. They don't call me every year and go, Rich, you know, I'm taking 2000 a month, 1000 a month. Now I need $1,200 a month. Inflation really wasn't affecting them too much because their spending was over time sort of dropping off, especially after the active years of retirement. But guess what I think is going to happen now? We're going to have people wanting to call in and say, listen, Rich, I need to take more from my portfolio. I, don't, I need $1,300 a month. And then next year I might need $1,400 a month because of inflation on the stuff I just buy to survive every day. You got to rerun your analysis. You got to figure out whether or not this individual is going to outlive his or her money. And if that is the case in this headwind for returns, what do you do? You can't just say, take 4.7% and close your eyes. Magically, there'll still be money there. That is not going to work for retirees. Now, we use a combination of things, dividend stocks, dividend-based ETFs. You know, uh, dividends are good, but you're going to have to deal with the volatility of the underlying investment. That's just the way it is. Every retiree is going to deal with volatility if they want growth in their portfolio. That is going to happen. It's just whether or not it's damaging enough to pull the money out of that portfolio faster than you're going to survive. So here's what some people will do. <clears throat> they will cover all their fixed expenses, what we call their needs, right? The stuff they need to take care of things, keep a roof over their head, food on the table, with Social Security and or pension for those who have pensions, INBU, 
or they create their own pension. And they go, listen, these fixed, this guaranteed income stream covers everything I need. So if I don't tap my variable stock and bond portfolio for a couple of years, I, I'm okay. Because that was for the fun stuff. And guess what a lot of times these people will do? They will make that variable asset portfolio more aggressive. It may not be as blended because they're willing to own more stocks because they may not tap that portfolio for, say, five or ten years. They'll let it sit there and draw it out selectively, which means that they might take more risk with that portfolio that's variable versus the money that's coming in. Or they have a legacy intent. They go, listen, you know, I'm going to leave this money to my grandkids. This isn't a 10-year or 20-year time frame. This is a 50-year time frame. So, yeah, so stocks are down in the variable portfolio. I'm okay. <clears throat> I like these companies. I think they'll come back. That doesn't mean you just close your eyes. you got to monitor your investments. But if you're owning big companies and you want to stick it out or you want to reshuffle the deck, but the allocation itself is more aggressive, you can look at it longer term. Because I have my income stream covered by pension, social security, or a income annuity that I placed into the portfolio. You have to craft a distribution portfolio that's right for you. And using blind percentages and rules of thumb work really well during market tailwinds. You can make mistakes, too, because stock market returns are going to cover those mistakes. It's a great thing. Oh, this year I had to take 15% of my, out of my portfolio, but guess what? My stock portfolio is up 20, right? I had an exogenous event. Exogenous, Lance. No R's in there. Is there an R in there? Don't be smart, Brent. So you have to, again, <clears throat> there are ways to look at this, whether you're Tim Allen or Wilson, on how you're going to accumulate and distribute assets in the face of what we call sequence of return risk. I don't know about any other risks that I want to talk about. Hey, the show's over. Everybody go home. No, I'm kidding. So we're going to be doing a lot more on the Lunch and Learns. We've got a couple coming up. I hope maybe we get to see some of you tomorrow. Take a nice ride. I think the weather's going to be nice. Brent's going to be there. Brent will actually said he's going to be at our Austin Combating Inflation in Retirement class. Hey, anything for a free breakfast. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> can I tell you what we're having for breakfast tomorrow? Sure. Black coffee. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Um, hey, listen, this stuff's expensive, and Austin is a little weird with how they handle food. It's its own little universe. When I'm in distribution stage, you know where I'm not going to be living? In Austin. You all have a great weekend, everybody. Hope to see you tomorrow. Lance on Monday. Hope you rest up. Thanks for being here with us.
into his bad world.